And here in this chapter, you have Paul going back time and time to the gospel, to this Philippian church, reminding them of the importance of the gospel. And that's what I want to do with you tonight. I want you to look at the last few verses of this chapter where Paul majors in on how you and I are to look and be with and support the gospel. Christians have the gospel. It's in our hands. And it's in our hands not just to hold on to it, but to protect it. It's in our hands to spread the gospel. No one else's. It's for you and for me. The the gospel changed you. The gospel changed me. The gospel will change people that we present the gospel to. So we need to know this gospel. It has a life-changing message. Need to remember, God first communicated the gospel. And do you notice on other occasions how Paul defended that gospel? He says in 1 Corinthians 9 and 16, Woe is me if I don't preach this gospel. I'm doomed. That's one translation I have. What did he say in Romans 1 and 16? This gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It's the only thing. It's the only way that mankind can come. We may change the methods. Would you never change the message? It will always remain. And how did Jesus leave our world? What did he say to us? Go into the world and do what? Preach the gospel. And so we want to look tonight at the gospel and what Paul had to say to this church at Philippi because what he says to them applies to all of us tonight. And he said four things. First of all, he says, we're to speak well of the gospel. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Your King James Version says, let your conversation be good towards the gospel. You and I have to live out the gospel. We can live it out by what we do, but we also live it out by what we say, don't we? Part of your conduct and mine is how you talk about the gospel and how I talk about the gospel. So how do we speak about it? We could give a number of reasons why we should speak of the gospel. Let me just, and I'm going to do this with each thing tonight. Let me just give you a couple of reasons why we're to speak well of the gospel. The first is that's because of the purpose. Simple, isn't it? The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It's good news. It brings hope to people who have no hope. And they're living in a world where there's very little hope for them, isn't it? Here's a gospel that says there's a God who loves you. There's a God who sent his son to die for you. There's a God who offers you eternal life. There's a God who will bring you one day to heaven. Is that not worth talking about? The purpose of this gospel? How it came to be revealed to us? It's not only good news, it's the best news, isn't it? 
for mankind. And listen, is it not natural that you and I share good news? If something happens in your family, that's good. Do you walk about with your mouth closed? Not at all. You tell the first person you see. You want to share it. Here we have it, friends, the gospel. Can you and I keep quiet about it, knowing, especially from personal experience, what it can do, what it has done? Why should we keep quiet on such a thing as this? But they just don't speak well because of the purpose of the gospel. Surely we should speak well because of the power of the gospel. It's the power of God, we said, unto salvation to all who believe. And there's no discrimination here. God so loved the world. The gospel is for the world. It's not for people in the Western world. It's for everybody. Down in the years, it's been attacked, it's been mocked, it's been shunned and banned even in some countries. But it's still here, friends. And it's still changing lives, even where it's not supposed to be preached at all. There's a power in this gospel. What did the hymn writer said? The vilest offender who truly believes. That's what this gospel does. A minister friend of mine was talking to me a couple of weeks ago. I had done a Sunday for him while he was on holidays, and he was telling me that he, he does, I suppose, what is the equivalent of our nightlight, only he does it by himself, apparently. He goes down the street at night on a Saturday night, Friday and Saturday nights. And he had one particular young man whom he had tried to talk to, but this fellow would walk away, would push him away, would have nothing to do with him. But he found out that he was in hospital, seriously ill. And so he, this is his words to me, he said, I decided he's lying in bed. He can't walk away this time. He'd have to sit and lie and listen. He has no option. So he said, I went to the hospital and I sat down at his bedside and I told him plainly, I'm here to tell you the gospel and you're going to listen. Now you have to know this minister now, to know that's what he would do. He explained the gospel and the young man said to him, hold on a second. He said, I, I haven't grasped it all. I haven't got it all, he says. Could you explain it again? He said, I ended up explaining it three times. He said, I went back the next day. I was going prepared to do it all over again. And he said, the young man said to me, and this is the way he said, Mr. Minister, I have done what you told me to do. But he said this, he said, I never heard the gospel in my life. He lives in Northern Ireland. He lives in a town where there are plenty of churches. And he was able to truthfully say he'd never heard the gospel. He was dead in a week. It's a good job somebody told him the gospel, isn't it? Friends, you and I have a gospel. We know this gospel. We know the power of this gospel. Are we people who are not ashamed to spread this gospel, to talk this gospel? Are we people who can, 
explain the gospel. You see, yes, it's preached in this church and has been, as I said, for a lifetime. But listen, friends, it requires more than a minister. It requires you and me. There are people out there that you meet. The minister doesn't meet them, but you do. And you know this gospel, and I know this gospel. It has reached lives, I'm sure, that if you think carefully, you never thought would be reached. It has reached out to people that you may have thought was beyond it. But it's the power of God, friends, unto salvation. You're to speak well of the gospel. Secondly, you're to stand firm for the gospel. I will know that you stand firm. One translation I have says, Stand united, singular in vision, contending for people's trust in the message, not flinching or dodging before the opposition. Or another translation puts it like this, Stand side by side with one strong purpose. And let me say quickly two things about that. Why are we to stand against, sorry, stand firm for the gospel? Because we need to stand against the attacks on the gospel. Now the gospel has always been under attack. It always will be under attack. And as you know, the blatant attacks are easily seen and easily noted. But what about the subtle attacks? What about those where the presentation maybe is a bit iffy. What about those where the presentation includes no gospel? I can remember sitting at a Presbyterian church nurse many years ago when I was on holidays, and a minister, and he was a minister who'd been there for a long time, and he managed to preach a sermon with God's name not mentioned. I remember another minister telling me he took part in a very hope, a very high-profile funeral. And the sermon at the funeral to a packed church didn't include a mention of God at all. You see, we need to stand, friends. It's happening out there. It's, it's going on. And if we don't stand for the gospel... We're allowing people who should be hearing the gospel to be lulled into a sense of, it's okay, it's fine, don't worry. Friends, you need to stand even when it's unpopular. And sometimes that will happen. A member of a church session of a church one Sunday morning said to me, I had got held up. There was a bomb or something on the main road and I had to take a big detour to get to it. And I arrived bang on time to be told we were hoping and praying you wouldn't make it. There's attacks out there. There are people, friends, even in church, who don't really want to hear the gospel. But they need to hear the gospel. We're to stand firm. No retreating. But we're not just to stand against the attacks. We're to stand against apathy. Now you should say that's something as weak, insignificant, and harmless. Oh, friends, listen. 
there's no place the devil can make more progress than somewhere where there's apathy. That's when he really can get going. Untold damage can be done by unnoticed apathy. Where there's a loss of interest in working for and defending the gospel, the gospel becomes something can be set to one side. Don't worry about it. We have plenty of other things to get on with. I have to say that over the years, and I wish John hadn't mentioned a number of them, but over the years, one thing has saddened me. I have seen people from First Porter Down, brought up on the ethos of First Porter Down, the gospel, sitting in churches where they're not hearing it anymore, and they seem quite happy and content. That baffles me. I remember challenging somebody one day just to be told, ah, well, Dennis, you know, he's a nice wee man. Yeah. But they weren't hearing what they were supposed to hear. We're losing out. The gospel friends, you're to stand firm. Whether people like you or dislike you, whether fi- people find it popular or unpopular, that's not the point. It's the gospel. Speak well of it. Stand firm for it. The next thing we're told here is we're to strive together for this gospel. I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith. We're to strive. Your King James Version uses the word strive. And the important thing is it says strive together. One of my translations says, stand side by side. Now again, why should we do that? Listen, friends, there's two simple reasons again. The first is this. We need to strive to show that the gospel's applicable. There are people there who don't see it as applicable. There are people there who don't realize that God loves them. And as you and I know, God so loved the world. So this gospel is applicable to the world. It's applicable to everybody. Thousands of people even around us don't know that, don't accept that. They live without any thought of God. They live without any realization of the importance of this gospel. You see, this gospel applies to the person who rejects it. Just as much as it applies to the person who may accept it. God loved the world. He sent a gospel for the world. Friends, you and I know, don't we? If people reject this gospel, and of course they have the right, they have the free will to do it. But if they reject the gospel, they have rejected their hope of eternal life. They have rejected their hope of a home in heaven. They're going somewhere where maybe they don't even believe in anyway. And this word strive, friends, if you look up the dictionary, you find it says courage, faith, resolve. That's what it takes, isn't it? And it's going to take more of it as life goes on. And remember, you see, This letter is written to a church. 
This is not written to the minister of the church in Philippi. This is written to the members of the church. So it's for you, it's for me. We're to strive, we're to work for the gospel, we're to work to show that this gospel applies to people. But not only are we to show that the gospel is applicable, and this is maybe more difficult, we're to show that the gospel is attractive. We have to be honest and admit, don't we? There are people out there and they see Christians and they look at them and say, look at them, and they claim to be Christians. Where's the joy? There isn't any. At least there's none on the face. We sometimes do that, friends. We have to be honest. We portray this gospel as being monotonous, tedious, joyless, a life of don't do this and don't do that, don't we? But what did we say at the beginning? This gospel is good news. This gospel is worth sharing. This gospel is not knocking people down. This gospel will lift people up. It's about a life set free, isn't it? It's about a life of peace. It's about a life of assurance. It's about a life of having your sins forgiven. It's a life, it's a word about a home in heaven. All the good things. This is something attractive, isn't it? I like the way one commentator put it. He said, instead of looking like stones, we should sparkle like gems. There's a bit of truth in that, isn't there? Worth asking ourselves, what image do you portray? What image do I portray of this gospel? I've got good news. I should be telling that good news, but I should be telling it in a manner that uplifts this gospel, portrays this gospel as it really is. That's what we need to do, friends. We need to strive for this gospel. We're going to have to work for it. It's not going to be easy all the time, but God will honor you and me when we stand up for this gospel. We're to speak well. We're to stand firm. We're to strive together. But here's the most difficult part of it. We're to suffer willingly. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. This is difficult, isn't it? Because we don't know anything about suffering compared with people in other countries. I, I read an article just yesterday where the writer claims that there are 200 million Christians in our world who suffer in some way for the gospel. That's a lot of people, isn't it? You and I may get on the fringes of it with mocking, false accusations, dislike, even injustice. But why mention it at all? Why should we be prepared to suffer? The last time there was 
the Presbyterian Church had a had seminars down at New University and I was the representative elder from our church and on one of the days I was walking between two buildings with a young minister that I happened to know and he was just this was the month of August he was going to be ordained in his new church his first ordination his first church in September and we, we were going along discussing what had been said during the seminar And then he said this to me. He said, Dennis, I believe in my lifetime I will see people in the British Isles jailed for their faith. Is he wrong? I don't think he is. Getting close to it, isn't it? More and more attack. Did you notice it said recently there's been more attacks on churches in Northern Ireland in the first six months of this year than all of last year? Why should we be prepared to suffer? Let me give you again two reasons. Because there will be grace that's adequate. A little suffering, is that a big price to pay? For defending and proclaiming the gospel. Here's some verses to back it up. 1 Corinthians 10.13 God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tested above what you're able to bear. There'll be enough. Or that well-known verse in 2 Corinthians 12 and 9. My grace is sufficient. Doesn't say you'll be weighed down with it. Doesn't say it'll be overflow. You'll get enough. What did Paul say? There's all of those things that happened to him, isn't there? We find them in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, flogged more severely, exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, I spent a night and a day in the open sea, I've been constantly on the move, I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep, I have known hunger and thirst and often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. That's a bit of suffering for you, isn't it? What did Job say? Though he slay me, yet I'll keep trusting. If you and I have to suffer a little, friends, remember this. There'll be sufficient grace. It will be adequate for you. It'll be enough. But let me give you an even better reason why you should suffer for the gospel if necessary. Not just because of the grace is adequate, but because of the glory that's assured. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. That's what Paul wrote to Timothy. And then in Romans 8 and 18 he said this, I reckon that the sufferings of this world are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. 
But worth it, friend. Listen. Jesus Christ gave his life to give you and I this gospel. What if it costs you and I a little suffering? What if it costs us a little ridicule or scorn? It's only going to last for a short time, isn't it? not going to last forever. What's it compared with the glory of eternity in heaven? 1 Peter 5 and 11 is translated by Peterson. Suffering won't last forever. God has great plans for us in Christ, even eternal glory. The gospel. You and I are to stand for, speak well of the gospel, stand firm for the gospel, strive together for the gospel, even suffer for the gospel. Why? Because this gospel, friends, has the power. Let me leave you with this thought. Treat the gospel like a postage stamp. Stick with it till you get there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank thee for what that gospel involved. The death of your only begotten son. We thank thee, O God, for what that gospel provides for us sins forgiven, means of grace, hopes of heaven. Forgive us, Lord, if we don't deal with this gospel and treat this gospel the way we should. Help us, O God, to speak of it, speak well of it. Help us to stand for it. Help us to strive for it. And if it has to happen, Lord, help us to suffer for it. Knowing that we'll get the grace and we'll go to glory. So bless your word to us tonight. We pray, O God, with the psalmist of old, that your word tonight will be a lamp unto our feet and a guide unto our path for the days to come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.